Hey, Spiro, how's it going? How are you? We're doing real well, Mark. It's nice to be here. Thanks. Awesome. Well, I'm really stoked to have you on today. And for everyone listening, we have Spiro with Epica. Spiro, do you want to give us a little background on you and uh, your business and and how you got started? Uh, sure. Well, again, I'm the owner of Epica. Epica.com is our website. We sell handcrafted Italian leather journals, primarily, and photo albums. And uh, my background actually is has nothing related to artistic endeavors whatsoever. I got my start in business, if you will, working in the automotive industry, gosh, 30, over 35 years ago. So I worked in automotive for 30 years, working for major manufacturers primarily, like, uh, you know, Lexus, even Rolls-Royce, Bentley, and so on. And that that certainly has an artistic side of it, but my side was anything but. I was in logistics and data analytics, um, spent 15 years on the OEM and dealership side, and then 15 years on the marketing side, working for a vendor whose clients were these major manufacturers in the world. And uh, it was, you know, many people would think it's kind of boring and I could, I could totally see that because I was just dealing with numbers primarily and processes and how to make improvements in the business, but not related to the aesthetic quality of our products, of the cars and, and so on. So this was a real, a real shift for me to go from that. I had retired and was looking for something to do. And um, th this part of the story is actually kind of cute if you want me to go into it. Yeah, let's hear. How did you, like, I think a lot of people want to know, most people start brands, very few actually like find them and acquire them. So let's hear, let's hear how you actually, how did you find Epica? So Kathy and I had visited Italy and a few other countries in 2015. I had retired not not long before and um, really enjoyed it. At that time, I wasn't thinking about getting into a business. We were just enjoying ourselves. Just on vacation. Just on vacation, yeah. It was a long, a long vacation, about a month long, and uh, really enjoyed Italy and everything about it. And then um, we came home. And I started, like many people, I hear from people that after a while they get bored, right? And so I told Kathy, I, I'm going to look for something to do for myself. I had worked for others for my entire career. I had helped uh, three particular uh, people that I worked for become incredibly wealthy. And uh, I thought, why not? Why can't I try something on my own? I didn't really have a bent for it, being entrepreneurial, or I didn't really even think that I had the courage for it, frankly. But I thought, I'm going to give it a shot. And initially, I was looking for a manufacturing business, because that's something I understood from the automotive side. And uh, just as a little side note, no one that I've ever mentioned this little tidbit to has ever known this datum. Yeah. But the... The highest concentration of electronics manufacturing in America is in the San Fernando Valley, right here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, really? There's more electronics manufacturing here than anywhere in America. And so that's where my focus was. I'm going to look for a small electronics manufacturing company, maybe a little high tech, a little low tech, and see where it goes. 
And uh, so I subscribe to some services that feed you listings of what's available for sale. Pursued that for about maybe six months, made some offers on some businesses. So you, you, you went into a, like a service, you found some type of publication or business listing, right? Yeah. And you subscribed to it and you were finding deals. They were, you were seeing deals that were interesting to you, right? Exactly. So I researched maybe, maybe a dozen and out of those, I made two uh, substantial offers. Uh, and in the course of all this happening, I would get these little emails that weren't related to what I was looking for. They would just be, hey, we saw this new listing that you might be interested in, but, you know, I really wasn't. And one of them caught my eye. It was own a craftsman business in Italy. And it just kind of piqued my interest. And so I clicked on it and I read the little bio of the company, Epica. And uh, I called up the broker and he gave me, you know, all the all the details on it. And I thought, uh, I need to meet the owner. I need to meet the founder. And he says, that's not possible. I said, what do you mean it's not possible? The business is for sale. He says, well, he's in Dubai on vacation. He's in Dubai. So I told him, well, there is this thing called Zoom. Let's just make it happen. Yeah. Or actually, it wasn't Zoom at the time. It would have been Skype. Skype. Probably go to meeting or Skype. Yeah. So they set up a, uh, a meeting, the broker set it up, and I meet uh, Tari Manello. That was the, the founder of Epico, was an Italian gentleman who had lived a good part of his life in America. He had uh, created Epica in 2001, and um, he was looking to move on to other things and was interested in selling it. So we had a long conversation, and over the next four weeks, we had a meeting every week where I would ask him questions. So the broker would feed me financial data. Anything I asked for, the broker would send me. I would, you know, analyze it, come up with questions, and then I'd meet with Tari on the phone for about an hour once a week. So due diligence phase. Yeah. You're going through the books. Yeah. You're seeing if this is right for you. Exactly. At that point, did you put an offer in yet? Or no. was it purely just due diligence? I'm interested in this. It's a small deal. Just fact-finding. So on, in, on the, the second week, when we had our weekly call, he was in um, Lithuania. Yeah. I'd never met anyone from Lithuania. And he was, again, he was just traveling. Yeah. So we had a nice meeting there. Then the next week, he was in Stockholm. We had a nice meeting there. And I said, listen, you like to travel. I want to meet you. Let's meet in Florence. He says, great. A week later, we met in Florence. Wow. And it was kind of cool. You know how serendipity strikes you and that, that's, it, it just, things just magically align, right? So I met uh, Tari at the airport in Florence and we literally spent five days together, 24, 24 hours a day. So we rented a little apartment, a little guest, uh, Airbnb, two bedroom, we we ate together. We saw each other all day. We went, we visited all the artisans. He told me all about what he loved about Florence and the business and da da da. And uh, then we got on a train and we're on a train, a bullet train from Firenze to Milano. And that's where we inked the deal. In fact, we were a little slow doing all the paperwork and I missed my connecting train. <laughs> oh no. But uh, that's, that's kind of how it happened. 
So you you flew out. What a commitment! And when people think about like buying a business, like you you were doing due diligence, you found something you liked, right? You you're like, this is something I want to move forward with. You flew out, met the guy, which I think is hundred percent the right thing to do. Spent a week with him, and then yeah. inked a deal and moved yeah. forward with it. Where I'm curious, where was where was the business? physically located were they using just a 3pl or was it in southern california or is it somewhere else uh he had started the business in italy okay cool and over time fulfillment was happening in california for a while and then he moved it to i think martha's vineyard for a while and then to a fulfillment center in nashville tennessee and so he had nothing to do with fulfillment. He just used a 3PL and he was running the business remote. For the That's most right. Part, right. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. I'm curious, did you, did you acquire any inventory? Everything. I, I inquired the, yeah, everything, all the assets of the company. And, you know, you, to your point of flying out there to meet him, if you think about it, it's a some several hundred thousand dollar investment. And why wouldn't I spend $1,500 to make sure that it's real? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And also like get a feel for, can you trust this person? And also the artisans. The main thing was I wanted to meet the artisans. Yeah, totally. Cause you're, you're buying, you're buying the supply chain, right? That's part of it. And you, you're buying an existing, you got a website, you got some inventory, you got some customers, but you're buying that supply chain really for your business is essential. It's the connections, it's the terms, it's everything. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the critical part. It totally is the critical part. And we had a great connection with, at the time, there were just two artisans that uh, Tati was working with. So we met them both, had uh, lunch and dinner with them several times, you know, looked at how they were making things. Not that it mattered, but it was interesting to, to see how they actually go through the process of handcrafting uh, products. And just got a, again, because it's a small business, the personal side of it is critically important. It's just very, the trust level has to be there person to person, not just business to business. And so we inked the deal. Um, the other very serendipitous thing that happened was he had two, we'll call them subcontracts that had done work for him at different times. And I met them both. And we had an instant connection with both of them. And they both came to work for Epica. And so that made the transition so smooth that l very literally um, we transitioned the business from Tennessee to California in three days. And on the third day, we were shipping products. On the day that we closed the deal, we were shipping products as, as my, under my account. And, and a week later, I went on a three-week vacation. And the business ran the whole three weeks I was gone, no problems. You know, it's funny when I, uh, I think I told you about that eyewear brand that I bought uh, last, like a year and a half ago. It was the same thing. I, we closed on that business, picked up inventory, moved it to our 3PL fulfillment center, all got everything up the day before I left for Europe for two weeks to go visit our Ukraine team and to go to this event. So it was the same same thing. It was like it's wild. <laughs> same thing next day. You're 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 taking over and you're running everything. So yeah, it, it was very cool.
That's awesome. So anyway, that's how that's how I got started. And I'm curious too. Just you know, you don't have to share the details of it, but I'm curious. I'm I'm always interested in in business deals. Did you guys do an asset transfer, or was it full like acquisition asset transfer? Yeah. Yeah, it was an asset purchase. Um, you know, for a business of this size, makes most sense. Two and a half to three multiple of uh, free cash of discretionary earnings. And, uh, you know, to, truthfully, I didn't negotiate a price with him. He he was asking X dollars, and I told him, I'm going to pay you X dollars, but I want a commitment. I'm going to hold back some of the money, and you're going to commit that you're going to be available because I'm going to have lots of questions as we go forward. And so that's what we did. So it was almost a little bit of a, almost a little bit of the financing terms, like you held back a little cash. I held back cash. I paid him interest on it. That's great. Over, over a two year period. And he, his commitment was that if I had a question, he would be available to answer that question. And it worked out great. That's, that's the best way to do it, especially on these small deals. You get access to him. You're committing it. Cash is coming back. He's getting free cash flow in the future. Completely commitment. Yeah, that's great. And then also for for more more or less like no risk on your part, you're taking over all the IP, owning the inventory. There's no issues with something not being paid and having a full transfer of ownership of a legal entity is just can get so sticky. Right. That that's where an asset purchase is cleaner. Yeah. I mean, I even know a lot of people that buy like massive massive like have sold like hundred million dollar companies and still did an asset purchase, an asset transaction. Yeah. Yeah, sure. It's it's not uncommon at all. Yeah. I'm curious too, just going back to what you said earlier, did you was this a local business broker that you were working with? Was it a national since you were originally looking for uh local or local electronic manufacturing companies? When I think of buying a company, most people think, oh, I'm going to go to Flippa or Empire Flippers or one of these online sites. But yeah, yeah. I wasn't working with a particular broker. I was working with all my due diligence on the companies that I researched was with the broker of the seller. Was the broker of the seller. Yeah. Yeah. So those there are two main sites in the U.S. that handle small businesses. And I'm when I define small, I'm going to say you know, 5 million and less in revenue. 5 million and less, yeah. So bizben.com and bizbuysell.com, those are the two big ones. I think they represent close to half of all the small business transactions that happen through a broker in America. Very cool. I'm also curious too, did you, just when it came to, was this just all cash that you had in savings? Did you take out an SBA loan or anything? Just cash? That's great. Yeah, as I said, we had retired in, uh, you know, I mean, the money was doing something. It was sitting in our, you know, 401ks and, and this and that. It's sitting in a 401k or a bank account. Yeah. So. Yeah. It doesn't really make much. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. So tell us, like, you've got the business, right? How long ago was this? Like, This was in 2016. 2016, you've got the business. You transfer everything. You're You're taking over. Like, what, how was it like the first year, six months, year, two years? Like, how was it acquiring this business? And, and obviously, you're learning a lot of different skills now because you're in a different business than you were in. And you're also owner of a business now. Yeah. It, my background, though, I did 
work for a marketing company, our marketing was all offline marketing. <clears throat> I remember you said it was a lot of direct mail, right? Direct mail yeah. primarily, yeah. right. So learning the e-commerce business was, uh, was quite a curve for me. I had no knowledge of e-commerce whatsoever. So that, that was a very steep and uh, in some cases painful uh, learning for me, particularly on the point of how to discern whether a marketing professional, someone like yourself, was full of crap. A charlatan. Yeah. A sh yeah. I, I came up with this term, charlatans and thieves. Charlatan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's so easy to promote oneself as a marketing expert, quote unquote. And how do you know, other than talking to people that they've referred, you know, they give as a reference. So my first experience with the e-commerce side was changing our website because the website hadn't been updated since 2005. And if you think about how much technology had evolved from 2005 to 2016, it was a pretty old site. Totally. So did you, at this time, you were, the current website wasn't, I mean, that's pre-Shopify. So you, did you do the migration in the Shopify ecosystem? Yeah, that, that was a five-month project. Awesome. I started it the month after I acquired Epica. Yeah. Um, I chose to not hire a big firm to do it, and it was relatively inexpensive, under $10,000. Oh, that's great. Especially with the back end infrastructure of your type of site, a big firm could have charged you easily thirty to sixty grand. The, at the time, the estimates I was getting were in the twenty range, but I could certainly see how it could ex escalate from there. Um, but the critical thing that they did wrong, and that I just didn't have the knowledge to understand well, is because we were a moving from a different platform, Xcart. And changing the site, in addition, all the pages had, had to be changed. And they did a very, very poor job with the redirects. Very, very poor. They didn't manage it right. And I'm sure you guys had a lot of bad, bad backlinks. And when you have a full life, it's fine if, hey, it's really easy if you have five, 10 products on your website, you can get that done relatively fast. But if you have as many products as you do, full marketplace. It's a tedious process to make sure every redirect is going to the right place and there's no bad links. And it wasn't just redirecting in and of itself. is because the pages were being changed. And so the correct keywords weren't being applied. And I can't lay that all on... Yeah, I wouldn't lay that all on the developers because they were just doing what I asked yeah. them to do, but I didn't know better. To, at, to ask the right questions at the time. So our organic traffic. Yeah, the pre-platforms. Our organic traffic drops over 30% in one day. Oh, wow. Within, within three days of launching on Shopify, our organic traffic dropped by 35%. And it took, and then it dropped further, about half of our, our organic traffic went away. And I went through five different quote-unquote SEO experts before I found one who really took responsibility and fixed it. And literally, it got fixed again. It was a one-day thing. You know, He did a lot of changes, but, and it didn't seem like Google was recognizing those changes. And then one day, all the stars aligned and our organic traffic doubled in one day.
Yeah, it's interesting. It's like it takes Google needs to index the site with the site XML and hitting all those parameters. But when it does, you notice it. Yeah. Yeah. So you got that done. And how, how long did that take to get an expert in there to really ramp that organic traffic back up 30%? Well, to go from, you know, down to back up again was a two and a half year process. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we, we suffered for two and a half years. So tell us a little bit more about your journey and how has it been since you've bought it? You know, now it's what, been eight years? Since you bought the business, seventh year. So we're in their seventh year, you know. Yeah, seventh year since you bought the business. Um, what What are some of the things that you really enjoy about it? I I enjoy. I didn't think I would enjoy the customer side, but I really do. And over probably in the first year and a half, it started to strike me that I, the pleasure that I derived was from delighting customers of giving them a really exceptional experience. And I noticed that customers who were buying our products were generally very, very happy. Very happy to be doing it, not just happy with what they bought, but happy to be involved in the process, which is very different from being in the, in the car business. On the sales side, people are happy for the first few days. And on the service side, they're never happy. So... To be involved, to be working with customers who were truly, um, and for some of them, it was a once in a lifetime purchase. You know, when you're buying a $1,000 journal or a $1,500 journal, which are rare, but even a $400 journal is a lot of money. And so for many people, it's a one-time experience. And to be able to work with someone like, like myself or our customer service people and, uh, and and bring it to fruition the way they envisioned it or to give them that vision, it was really special. And I, I came up with this title, Chief of Customer Delight, because that's ultimately my... Chief of Customer Delight. That's ultimately my product, is if the customer isn't delighted, we haven't done a good job. For sure. And I think also just your product's so unique that people think you're selling journals, but you're really selling like family heirlooms the end of the day like you're selling something that someone's going to store and transcribe information they're going to add in photos it's going to be something that someone's going to hold from generation to generation yeah you know the only way someone's getting rid of an epica journal is if a tornado or a, <laughs> or a flood or a storm comes through right and that gets ripped out of their life no one's going through their bat, you know, their no one's going through their stuff and being like, oh, this is something I'm gonna throw away. This is something that exactly literally generations of family information is gonna live. I think it's really interesting. It's so so cool. Thank you. By coincidence, Mark, yesterday we I closed the deal with a, a customer for 50 photo albums that's gonna be generational. Wow. There it's gonna uh, span three generations. And they're buying all the albums at once because they want to have them for the future. They want to make sure they have the same albums as they go forward. Um, I've never done one that big before, um, but that literally just happened yesterday. That's just one regular customer. And it was, was a customer who bought a, one album a few months ago. Yeah. 
and they were delighted with it. And they called me up and said, can you make more of these? And I asked, yeah, how many more? She said, 50. Well, that's a, that would take one of our artisans um, a full week to make 50, 50 albums. That's incredible. Yeah. So tell us about some of the things that have been challenging for you growing the business over the years. The SEO side and the marketing side has been a, a big challenge. We're currently running at about 60% above the sales volume from when I purchased it. But I really need to get it up, uh, really double what it was in order to be, to, I mean, it's viable, don't get me wrong, but to make it so that it's comfortable and, and producing for the amount of effort that I'm putting into it. The good side is that I don't have to put in a lot of effort because it just kind of runs. But to get it, to get everything firing does take some, does take some effort. So the big challenges are working with marketing people, learning things, you know, sitting in on the weekly calls with the brand marketing group has been very helpful as a, as a touchstone. You know, I, I see something, I hear something, it sounds interesting. And then I come to you and say, does this actually make sense? And then being able to walk through that and error ideas and get your ideas and what worked for other companies that you've uh, dealt with. That's been a, that's been a big help. Awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. It, the other a big challenge, of course, COVID threw everything out of, out of whack, right? Italy was shut down, completely shut down for almost a year and then gradually. So supply chain has been a, a real tough, tough nut. Everywhere that was hit hard in the world. I mean, first thing we think of is like lockdowns, more stringent than anywhere else was Italy and Europe and of course, China and Asia. But Man, yeah, we had just launched a vegan line, and it was a really cool product. The manufacturing was being done in Spain. It was a they were making not pleather because pleather is made from oil-based products, but they were making a leather-like textile from uh, pineapple leaves, the the discards of pineapple plants. So you know, very cool. Uh, for the environment, it, um, appeals to people who don't want to use actual animal products. So it had a lot of cool uh, facets about it. And we launched the product line in 2000, toward the end of 2019. And at the beginning of uh, 2020, just before COVID hit, there was a typhoon in the Philippines that knocked out, it wiped out 80% of the pineapple plantations. Then COVID hit. Then there was a huge rainstorm in uh, Spain that destroyed their factory. And we, we couldn't get product for over a year, a year and a half, I think. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That was a disaster. But on, in Italy, um, the problems were more about the restrictions that the government had put in on being able to go to work and so on. That was the biggest problem. But today, the biggest problem is energy. Uh, our products are made from paper. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about like what are you know. Obviously, we you know it's December twenty twenty two right now. As long as you've been watching the news, you know what's going on. I mean, Europe's going through a massive energy crisis with the war in Ukraine and everything else going on. Tell us like what's going on. Like how's how's the supply chain going for you guys? So for for many 
parts, it's going fine. But the, the biggest component of our books, albums, photo albums, or journals is paper. And paper is a high energy intensive manufacturing process. It takes a lot of energy, but more than that, the equipment has to run 24 seven to be profitable for the, for the paper mills. The mills can't turn down. They got to be running 24 seven to really actually make money, right? Exactly. Cause they, they work on thin margins, but also it, it's an enormous cost to start up a, a mill and then shut it down and then start it up again. So with the problems that they're having with energy, not being consistent, not being readily available, they were having to shut down production lines. And of course, the first thing they shut down was the exotic production lines because that doesn't, you know, it's, it's low volume, right? So they wanted to focus on the things that were their bread and butter. And unfortunately, that's my niche is the exotic papers. So we lost a fair number of uh, product availability and had to scramble to find new vendors, new suppliers from Italy. That's the other important thing is Epica is about Italian handcrafted products. Yes, I could buy paper from India. Yes, I could buy paper from China. That's not what I want. I want Italian paper. And uh, you, you mentioned at the outset the, hand, the handcrafted aspect of Epica. So we have a line called Amalfi paper that's been handcrafted in Amalfi, Italy, going back to the 12th century, 13th century, from the 1200s. And so here are generational families that have been working in this industry, making this handcrafted paper. It's unique. It's only made in Amalfi. And uh, there's only one supplier left who's making it. And the, the young man who's running the family operation He's the fifth generation of his family that's that's running the mill. Super interesting guy. Uh, I met him this past summer. We had a great time together. And uh, it's kind of cool to be working with someone who can trace back his family history in this business going back, you know, four or five hundred years. And that's just just amazing. I mean, I think it's incredible. You guys are selling like you guys are one of the only people in the world selling the oldest paper in the world, right? Yeah. You know, I've been corrected on that because the oldest paper, of course, came from China, but it hasn't been a continuous process. These mills in Italy, in Amalfi, have been running literally for 500 years without... The same exact mill. The same mill. The same mill. Incredible. The same mill, yeah. And using largely the same processes. Same processes, just updated a little over time. Yeah, it's wow. it's pretty amazing. That's awesome. Um, the other big facet of the business that makes it unique is the artisans themselves. We have an artisan in in Firenze, in Florence, who came to Epica in two thousand four, I think, before I acquired it, and he had spent the previous twelve years working for the National Library of Florence, to the point where the Ministry of Culture of of Italy bestowed on him a degree in ancient bookbinding for his skill. And, uh, and he's been doing all of our wow. um, exotic books since 2004. That's amazing. <laughs> so you guys have a lot of history with the products that you guys are making. What are you, what are you most excited for in the future? Or like, where do you see Epica going like over the next year, two or three years 
with its product roadmap, with like maybe what it stands for, what you guys are doing overall? Yeah, interestingly, I tried emulating a couple of our competitors and introducing lower cost products. So our our average order value is in the 230, 240 range. Um, and I tried bringing in some less expensive books that were not handcrafted. They were machine uh, crafted. Some were handcrafted, but under, say, under $80. And they don't sell that well. Our, our customers, for whatever reason, people who have come to Epica, they're looking to buy a, a higher cost, higher value uh, product. So I probably could sell a lot more, do a lot more business if I repositioned Epica to be stronger with the lower cost products as some of our uh, competitors are just killing it with the, you know, the 30 and $40 journal. But that's just not what our customers are looking for. So I'm moving more, expanding the line for more exotic uh, journals that are in the, say, 100 to $250 range. And we've had, uh, we've brought on two new artisan groups in the last, just this year, really, just in 2022. Um, one is a third generation family out of Rome, and the other one is a, second generation family out of uh, Florence. So we're bringing, introducing new, new products that are just different, different ways of, of uh, handcrafting journals. And uh, I mean, the jury's still out on what the appeal will be, you know, from the customer side, but I'm really looking to, over the next three years, you asked, I would say to increase our sales by another 50% in that, in that period. Ultimately, I don't think the market is that much bigger. I think we have a, we definitely have a lock on the higher end side of things. So my largest wholesale customer is actually my biggest competitor. So they buy our brand and they sell it as Epica. If you go on their website, it says Epica. You know, one of their categories, one of their collections is the Epica brand. And they sell our brand as their luxury line. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about uh, the holiday season this year. We had a bang up. How was the holidays for you? I know you said you guys had a pretty solid holiday, right? Yeah, it was very solid. We did almost a month worth of business in four days. Oh, that's epic. And I know just with everything that happened last year in 2021, I mean, you, weren't, you had such supply chain issues with the ports in L.A., that were just stacked, right? Let's hear a little, you want to talk a little bit about that and just what happened last year? <laughs> one of our, sh we typically bring one or two shipments a year by sea container and the rest come over by FedEx in, uh, you know, smaller containers, but by air. So we had our, our sea container, um, the goods were prepared on the first week of August and I received them the first week of December. It was literally, our container was literally floating in the Pacific off the port of Los Angeles, not even anchored for months. Unreal. Yeah, that was, uh, that hurt. So two, 2021 was not a great year for us. I just didn't have product. 2020 was a record year. That uh, was great. And this year, by following that, that guideline that you had laid out, you know, for repeated the whole Black Friday, you know, preparing customers for Black Friday and then 
uh, communicating on a daily basis, but only communicating to those customers who haven't engaged yet. Um, it really, really helped. It, it helped a lot. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I know last year it was such a, it was so frustrating for you. Just, I remember we worked on that whole game plan too in the program and you're like, I can't even launch it right? because I don't have inventory. Yeah. I can't run a sale or if I sell everything, I won't have anything to sell post Black Friday. That's right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so, I was so stoked to hear that you guys had a great, great holiday this year. And, um, Going to the next couple of weeks, you know, in brand marketer growth, we're putting together the full Q1 strategy too. That's like overarching, taking together some key dates on what we can be doing, and uh, yeah, making sure that everyone has a killer, killer uh, Q1. Because, you know, I have a feeling that Q1 this year is going to be quite challenging. You know, just where the economy's at, and uh, people are going to be tightening up the the wallets and uh, the purchases. So I think it's super important as we head into Q1 that we are aware and we are relentless when it comes to making offers and keeping the cash flow moving. I, I think I mentioned to you in one of our calls that we, I actually paused my relationship with our media buying agency. Yeah, I remember you said that. For six months. Yeah. And just let the ads run. We just, you know, we just basically turned off their feed, but the ads kept running. And uh, I just same ads, same ads. I, I did do a pause from November 15th to December 15th on prospecting. I think I'm pretty sure that was a suggestion that came up in one of our discussions. It was, that was it. Yeah. I mean, everyone, everyone should pause prospecting unless you have just an insane evergreen offer that's still converting. There's no sense in running it during that time because inventory costs are so high. So it was smart. So th that's helped to conserve some cash. And, uh, you know, it increased. Our, when I calculate uh, ROAS, return on ad spend, I factor in the cost of the agency. So that's really helped to maximize the yield on the, our, limited, our limited ad budget. What else do you have in the pipeline for next year? Is there anything else on the horizon? Any other tools? Any other initiatives that you guys have? Um, right now, we're working on a UX uh, improvement for the website to just make it more more user friendly. A nice refresh on the front end. Yeah, a refresh on the front end, and to focus focus the offer, if you will, to our core competencies you know, which, what are we really known for is refillable journals. We have more refillable journals than all of our competitors combined. Uh, the world's thickest journals. No one else makes journals like this. So those two, personalization, no one offers the amount of personalization that Epica does. So we're putting those front and center on the website, on the homepage, to just make that top of mind for a customer. If you're coming to Epica, these are the things we're known for and these are the things we do better than anybody else. Those are some of your highest searched in just overall like greatest SEO organic products, right? Yeah. So that's the big one. Uh, an agency that I spoke with suggested that we also make improvements to our cart page, which I had never thought of. I didn't think a cart page could have any impact. Um, so that's part of this refresh. It's not just the front end, but also um, 
doing a little, making some improvements on the on the cart page, and um, and just being more more on top of the email marketing and doing more more of it. I've been very cautious about over over promoting to customers, but if the things I'm learning from our weekly conversations are if we focus on the customers who are engaged and only market to the other customers occasionally when there's a really great offer, that it seems like that's a nice balance where everybody's happy. We don't get, uh, we still fall within Clavio's guidelines for uh, opt-outs and, uh, and taking over the, the domain, the sending domain really helped as well. It's a big one. It's all of these little tweaks, just following best practices, massive impacts on deliverability overall. So I'm glad to hear that's working. And, you know, I, I say this time and time again, but, you know, and I knew even when we started working with each other, I think you were only sending like two, you know, we're sending like a newsletter once a month and then maybe one other campaign, right? And seeing that you're getting more consistent. It was once a month with a follow-up. Yeah. And then there was a follow-up. Like what happens is, if you don't email at least twice a week, the list starts to die because they forget about you. Just what happens. Like you don't become relevant to them. But, you know, it doesn't always have to be about a sale. There can be re-opt-ins. You could say, hey, we'd love to hear, like these are little great campaigns. Like, hey, we'd love to hear what you think about us. If you send us a message back, you get messages back, people, sending you stories about how you've impacted them. And also one of the best things you can have for overall deliverability is when you send a message, someone sends one back to you. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's a good one to keep in your back pocket to just get some, get some feedback on. I think a lot of it too is going to be asking for more feedback, more testimonials, some stuff that we're going to be working on this next year in brand marketer growth. It's going to be a lot of profile building, quizzes, customer profile quizzes, post-purchase surveys. All of this feedback loop is going to be running and becoming more and more important in the future. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to try the video testimonials as well. We haven't ventured that way, but uh, I think that could be like we talked about, I know we mentioned video ask. Yeah, we could. I think that would be a big win for you, especially your these high value customers that you're having. Just you know, you're they're opening up Epica into their homes to document their journeys and their families. Like it's it's almost like someone's bi family Bible. Sure. Right. Whether it's a journal or a, or a you know, or a photo album, like this is something that's going to live on for years. Yeah. And that's the intent. They're supposed to be generational. I have some good ideas too. And we'll, we were talking about this on this week's call, but I think we're going to do a training on it soon about how to actually start making short form 40 to minute 30, like viral ad video, viral ads using voiceovers and scripting and b-roll and product photography fantastic so we'll be talking a little bit more about that but i think there's our scrappy ways that we can build some more top of funnel assets that are super engaging where it's like i can already see the script right now this is the world's 
oldest journal, right? It's like made with this paper from any, there's some really good storytelling that we could tell out of that. Yeah. That I think could be pretty viral. Very cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, what's your last question? Just wrap up. Like, what do you have in store for the future? And like, where do you see Epica like over the next three to five years? Is this something that you eventually want to, want to, you know, have acquired? Do you want to be running this as a cash flow business? Like, where do you see yourself going now that you're in your second part of your life, already retired and running this business? Uh, yeah, Kathy and I've been chatting about that actually this year. And I figure maybe four to six years more of actively being involved. And at that time, I, the ideal scene really would be to turn the business over to one or one or two of our employees. That would be the that would be the perfect world where I could continue to mentor them and and they could take it where they want to take it. Um, but I'm not opposed to selling it outright. Um, but I figure four to six more years of active active involvement is about what I what I feel I have the energy for and and so on. That's what you wanted, yeah. Yeah. And then one more question just for you, because we, we talked about a little, I know we've worked together for. It's our third year. Yeah. I mean, this is since July, 2020, when we started brand marketer growth, like what's been your, how's your experience been in the program? Like overall, and what have been, you know, like I, I I've actually never even really asked anyone this on video before, <laughs> you know, we ran the program. So just under the table is like, you know, and only talking about it when, when, uh, when people ask, or it might be a right fit, but love to hear just your feedback on the program overall. And like, how's your experience been in it? I'd say the, the biggest, uh, takeaway has been knowing that I can listen to a pitch or I can listen to a technology update and I get what I get out of it, which is sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, but then I can bring it to our meeting and ask, what do you guys think? Or what if your clients who are bigger, much bigger in most cases than Epica, have they used this tool or have they used this technique or have they used this philosophy and be able to vet and be able to tap into that resource that otherwise I just, I wouldn't have the confidence. I would discard so many ideas by not having the resource and being able to to then, you know, flesh it out and, and so on. That's one side of it. And the second one is just listening occasionally to, you know, people like me that are part of the group that are bringing up an idea. That's been helpful as well. That, ah, geez, I never thought about doing that. And then having you walk where you walk through the, walk through this, through the steps. Um, those have been the two biggest takeaways. It's really been a comfort to, especially from my past experience of having, I don't know if it was just bad luck or I was just picking the wrong, the wrong people, but the, there's just so much out there that's trying to promote themselves as experts in a field, whether it's media buying or apps or SEO. And, um, boy, you can spend a lot of money in a very short amount of time and have nothing to show for it. Yeah, I agree. Well, I appreciate that, Spiro. And it's been great getting to work with you too. I mean, your the energy that you bring to the table and seeing how relentless you've been, even when times are tough, has been really awesome to see. So I'm glad you enjoy the program. <laughs> I'm stoked to see you you grow more and more, especially like 
you know, it's it's been almost like a year of holding pattern just with supply chain issues, the energy issues. So I'm I'm hopeful that things will turn around and, you know, we'll be able to get you into that growth phase that you're really looking for. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Well, how can uh, how can people reach out to you? Like, are you active on on any social media? Should they you know, where where can people learn a little bit more about Epica? Primarily from our website, epica.com. We're all, we are on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, my personal LinkedIn profile is available. If anybody actually had a question specifically that they wanted to ask, they could. We'll put it in the show notes for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. They could email and uh, I'd be happy to re- reply. Well, thanks, Spiro. This has been a great interview today. Thanks for coming on. And uh, it was great getting to hear your story and learning a little bit more about Epica and and how you bought something and built something, which usually what we hear is someone just building something from the ground up. So it's been great. Yeah, thanks. It's been a ride. Yeah. Thanks, Spiro. Appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, bye.